Hello everybody and welcome to yet another one in our ongoing series of financial wellbeing podcasts. You always sound a little surprised when you say that, yet another one. I know, I know, we've been going how long now? Three years, four years? At least, yeah, feels a lot longer time. but uh, yeah. It does. Uh, my name's David Lloyd and that, that strange voice that you just heard interrupting me there was... Yeah, Chris Bud. hello everybody. And the other person sitting silently in the room is... Tom Morris, hello everyone. Excellent, so we're the three people doing the podcast... You kind of know vaguely who we are, so I won't do too many introductions, other than to say that sitting next to me here is Chris's delightful dog, Luna. So if you hear any snufflings or grufflings or sneezings, that's Chris, and uh, <laughs> and Luna will probably stay very quiet for the whole recording. <laughs> so these podcasts came to light as a result of you writing a book, Chris. Tell us about the book. So the book is the Financial Wellbeing book, and it, uh, the, the, the full story is, has been told in the last podcast, but um, it's all about trying to work out life and, and my own role in it and well, what role money meant. And uh, it gives a pathway to people to work out their own financial plan, but based around what will make them happy most crucially. Exactly. And we've spent a long time talking about various aspects of that. And what are we going to do that's relevant to that today, Chris? So we're going to hear from a chap called Nick Elston, uh, who is going to talk to us about his experiences with anxiety. Yes. Now, Nick was at the Financial Wellbeing Conference. And if you heard the podcast that we did there, you may well have already come across elements of Nick. He was absolutely fantastic, I have to say. Rather annoyingly, he was just ever so slightly the second most popular, with me being third. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I was, so I was first, obviously. So, <laughs> so yeah, he was he was a spellbinding. You know, he he was he, he absolutely captured everybody's attention. And I think the reason is is because he's a very honest guy. You know, he's very honest about his difficulties. Yeah, honesty does shine through, I think, in situations like that. And we've covered that in other podcasts as well about how sometimes if you're in a difficult situation, be it financial or whatever else it may be, actually being honest about those things is one of the ways that's going to help get you out of it. And Nick was certainly that. It's a shame he's a Bristol Rovers fan, but I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not going to hold that against him because in every other way, uh, he was absolutely brilliant. But before we hear any more from Nick... Uh, let's start with our regular feature where we answer some of the typical questions that clients of Avation Finance have asked. Tell us, Tomo, how often do people say to you, what do I do about my investments with Brexit looming? Ooh, that's a good one. Make sure your investments are spread around the world. It's as simple as that, really. If you, when it comes to Brexit and your investment portfolio, the one area that could get hit is your UK shares. But actually, what we did find in 2016 when the Brexit vote happened is there was a mini wobble in the UK markets, but the pound weakened. So it meant a lot of the FTSE companies that uh, sell their wares around the world, it became a lot easier for them to do so. Um, so actually, the stock market went up. So there's a lesson to us. It's very difficult to predict when it will go up and down. Um, so therefore, you need a good spread around the world. So that base, that seems to me the basic rule of investment anyway, but yeah. obviously with the financial uncertainty around a particular geographical area, in this case the Brexit area, that obviously holds true even more. And, and I can certainly say that having recently had my financial review with a very smart young financial advisor, I wonder who that, is. <laughs> that was exactly the case in point for me as well. I've got a, 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 an evenly spread portfolio, uh, has meant that I seem to have uh, come out uh, at the end of my financial year in a pretty good position. Yeah, and as I always say to you, 
don't praise me too much when the markets go up because I don't want you uh, knocking me too much when the markets <laughs> go down. There are things beyond that all is, of our control. That is, by the way, David, that is saying number 12 of mine that Tomo has nicked. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Learn from the master. No, Why there's, reinvent the wheel? There's an old expression in investing, which is sell in May and go away. But I would disagree with that. I would say, uh, and I'm not going to make this rhyme, I'm sure I can find it more catchy, but basically make your investment and then forget about it because markets go down, they go up, they go all over the place. And if you look at them, all that will happen is it'll affect your mental health, it'll affect your financial well-being. And, and actually, here's, here's um, a good example of where we only ever see something go up in value. And that property is a good example. Why do we think it only ever goes up in value? It's because we often only get valuations every four or five years or when we get our mortgage redone or when we just sort of go, oh, I wonder what it might, what the value might be looking like now when we go on, on Zoopla. And because we don't see those dips along the way, we only ever see it go upwards. And I would imagine with an investment portfolio that say you held for 10 years, five, 10 years plus, if you only looked at it every four or five years, you'd probably see a similar trend. Mm. How many people do, how many clients, Tom, of, of Ovation say that I don't want to have a review at the moment because markets are down and it's only going to depress me? You know, I remember plenty of people saying that over the years. When markets are up, everybody wants a review, yeah. wants to look at their investments. So you get a completely skewed yeah. view of it. You yeah. stick it in a box, the metaphorical investment box, you know, put the lid down and forget about it. Well, That's my well, advice. Uh, in fact, that was quite interesting with that is why it's important not to overly focus on talking about your investment portfolio. And I'd hope this is a reflection on our our meeting, uh, David, or our meetings is we spend 95% of the time talking about what's going on in your life, where it might be heading, and ultimately how the money might fit into that. Um, but where, where that's valued at that snapshot in time doesn't have a major impact on things. Exactly, yeah, that's a very interesting perspective, actually, for those people that are perhaps a little bit frightened of, of getting financial advice and saying, oh, it's going to be talking about numbers. Obviously, the numbers are important, but in fact, yeah, what you said, that's so true. It's, it's what are you going to do with that money? And that surely is the whole point of our financial well-being world that we're Absolutely. discussing here. Yeah. I, I, the last word, if I may, on this, I, I'm going to be really controversial and say, uh, if listeners, if your financial advisor comes to talk to you at your annual review and all they talk to you about is your investment performance, get a new financial advisor. Wise words mm. from Chris Budd there. Okay. I might steal that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, talking of wise words, we're now going to come on to uh, another one of the major, major high points in these series of podcasts, and that is Titus Tomo. Tom, he's always incredibly well prepared for this, and he always comes with a tight-ass tip that shows how you can save money. What have you got for us this week, Tomo? Well, this one was from one of my colleagues, Paul, and I was really fascinated by this, and I think you two would be interested as well. We'll be the judge of that. Well, we'll see. Uh, it's called Escotia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Escotia.org. That's E C. O-S-I-A dot org. And what they are is a search engine, similar to Google, uh, many others also exist. Um, but what happens is, is the profit that they make from those searches, i.e. the advertisements, the pay-per-clicks, they use to plant trees. So I'm on their website right now, and they have planted over 65 million trees. Wow! With wow. the That's money. a lot of trees. It's a lot of trees. So um, I'm going to start looking at it, using it. I think you can even put it into your, your desktop bar as, a, as, a, as, a, as an app. 
put it on your phone, and maybe that's uh, a way rather than using Google all the time, start using that. I, I've not used it extensively to see how successful it is at finding everything you need, but something to definitely explore, I'd say. It sounds brilliant, but it's not so much saving money as saving the planet, really. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And what's the point in, in saving lots of money and becoming wealthy if we're all going to die? Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheerful word from Chris Bart. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I like that one, Tom. I'll take, that, I'll take a look at that. Thank you. Good right. one indeed. Searches financial well being podcast and we'll see if they're actually if they if we don't feature highly oh you're live yeah, yeah, oh, yeah live testing doing it now live testing he's putting it into his search engine we're up there guys are we number one well there's an ad above because obviously we're number two hands, podcast we? financial well-being I don't know about you, you but whenever I do a google search I just scroll down past all the ads even if the ad is for somebody that I'm searching for <laughs> <laughs> I still scroll past it and just go to the go to the one of the real proper yeah, results same. so Great tip, Tomo. Thanks very much. Right, okay, Chris, tell us a little bit more about your interview with Nick. So Nick Elston is a very, very wise, intelligent man because he's a Bristol Rovers fan. Big Bristol Rovers fan, David. Um, And he he took a big leap a few years ago to become a professional speaker. Um, And he also trains other people in speaking. And his training of other people is all around being honest and emotional in the speaking. His talk is all about... Uh, anxiety it's a very honest and emotional talk about his own battles with anxiety and he's getting gigs all around the world so he's a fascinating chap to talk to a very honest guy so yeah here's my chat with nick elston so nick thanks so much for joining us on the financial well-being podcast no worries chris my absolute pleasure I was a little upset with you, actually, Nick, if I may be honest. Okay. Because <laughs> you, you spoke brilliantly at our conference, the Financial Wellbeing Conference in the summer. And the keynote speaker, Miles Hilton Barber, who was incredible, um, he, he, was the, uh, he was voted the best speaker. But you picked me as second best Pete speaker by <laughs> 0.01. I'll take that. <laughs> no, you... You had such extraordinary feedback from you. So that's why we wanted to get you on the podcast to have you to talk in a bit more about well, the stuff you talk about. So let's perhaps just hear your story a little bit. If you'd just like to tell us and explain to us about how you came to be where you are. Sure. Okay. So basically, uh, in a very small nutshell, I turn this into a keynote usually. <laughs> um, I, uh, I had uh, obsessive compulsive disorder uh, as a child. Wasn't addressed maybe the way it should be or the way it would be now. Um, was it even recognised as such? It was. It was recognised and, and kind of diagnosed. And, and I had some, some, the kind of the treatment, he says in inverted commas, for, uh, for OCD back in the day. It was um, kind of eight weeks counselling. Uh, and I can <laughs> slightly more messed up than when I went in. Wow, um, really? It dealt with a lot of the obsession and a lot of the compulsion. But what it left me with is something which is now diagnosed as GAD, Generalised Anxiety Disorder. Right. Now, statistically, 28% of the country has this to some degree, but it's very uh, much less commonly known. So it's the, the daily catastrophization of events. It could be the constant negative assumptions to any situation. And actually, I guess, worryingly, I see that a lot in business as well, especially when it comes down to uh, business owners or in, in a high-pressure situation. So, so um, can, I, can I just pause you there for a second? You've used a couple of phrases there which are new to me. Daily catastrophization of events. What does that mean? So I guess, um, funnily enough, the example I use when I talk is that I could I text my mum and say, hey, mum, how are you? And she doesn't reply. Um, but who doesn't reply? How rude. 
Um, but I would have gone straight away to she's dead, she's had an accident, or we've fallen out. That's the worst case scenarios. And I use that example wherever I speak about this in, in the world, and actually it relates because it's quite a kind of a, a black comical uh, example. But if you're doing that kind of thought process for the simple things in life, the everyday decisions that we make and the actions that we take, then actually when you take that into education, into your corporate life, then it has a real impact. It builds up a, a tidal wave of anxiety. So it could be you go along and assume that every every sales meeting is going to be negative or it could be any um, client meeting that's going to have a bad outcome or they're not going to like you or they're not going to go with you. Or And I think when you compound that with all the pressures that are related to business ownership, to money, to all the things we looked at, the financial wellbeing conference, it, it does kind of help build that snowball that does does kind of crush you. Um, so, so, so GAD is that. It's, it's basically you're constantly in that fight or flight state about everything. And presumably, um, if we think about how we're dealing with money, one, one of our five planks of financial well-being is control of daily finances. Yeah. And if you don't have control of daily finances and you've got this anxiety, then presumably a bill coming in that you're not sure how you're going to pay would, would be crushing, would it? Oh, it would be, yeah. I mean, it's, that's something I'm very keen to share, especially, and interestingly, financial services is the second largest area of, of business for my corporate stuff that I actually work in due to that the high level of stress, but also due to the relationship of money with that. So uh, money can be the trigger for stress and anxiety, but also the how you control and manage money is also a byproduct of things like anxiety, especially when you throw into things like low self-esteem, low self-confidence, you actually end up trying to get your value and accountability in material transactions, or it could be chasing up credit, chasing up debt, which then compounds the issue again. So you find people that are actually in a position of fear, stay there and compound it because they never stop to, to take that step back. So is that um, the sort of situation where you're getting into debt and so you think some retail therapy will cheer you up a bit and you go and yeah. buy some stuff and get into more debt? Is that the cycle you mean? Yeah, very much. I mean, that's, that's one, one great example. But it's just you can use um, money and, and material things to replace your, your emotional kind of emotional responses that are, just aren't working. They're not firing very well. So actually you calm yourself by buying things in this example. But then, like every pursuit of material objects, when you when you buy that new car, two months later, it's just a car and you'll want something else. It's, a, it's human nature to want to push and push and push and push. And that's what happens when we put the control of our things, our happiness and our well-being, in the, the context of material products. Yeah, that's fine. That's really powerful, Nick. That fits in with so many other aspects of financial well-being about how um, the value of accumulating wealth is actually in contradiction with our well-being. Um, you add those two <laughs> things together wow that's quite a powerful revelation actually it, it is I'm, i think I've, I've, I've built a reputation as a, as a speaker now of actually firstly saying things that people don't tend to say about mental health challenges and the first thing relating to that is actually it keeps you in that in that kind of comfort zone really is is when you try to address things that's when the real problems kind of happen but one of the things is it actually can make you very highly performing so through Education, I was head prefect in every school, top grades in every click. Um, when I went into my professional life, my corporate life, I was top salesperson, top account manager, worked my way through the industry, the business, and building this reputation because actually things like high anxiety, you don't let the ball drop and you don't schedule recovery. 
And that's the reason why the work I do now tends to be in capital cities around the world or big areas of business where actually you have that high um, burnout and breakdown rate amongst the community. Especially when you throw into the fact that the two biggest anxiety triggers in the business community in the UK are procrastination and change. <laughs> actually, change is, is inevitable. Um, but procrastination is then a byproduct of that as well. So it becomes a huge kind of thing, really. The second thing I wanted to say about that is I talk about what anxiety does, not what anxiety is. So I leave, I leave that to the professionals. Uh, what anxiety does, and basically it's things like this, is how it does affect the way that you live your life and how it does affect things like self-confidence, about um, self-esteem, the way that you control money and actually how that can have an influence on your mental health and actually keep reoccurring as well. But also the fact that this potentially could stunt any growth that you have, um, in that case, any hope you have to move away from where you are as well. And I know that from my experience, especially with finances and stuff, it could be so overwhelming that actually it's easier to stay where I right, where I am now in a position of pain and frustration than actually start to address these things because mm. it's really, really scary. Yeah, yeah. I, if, if I may just tell a quick story. Mm. My father, my, I've told this a few times, so, so apologies, but my father went bankrupt um, when I was in my mid-20s and uh, we didn't know anything about it until it happened. Mum, particularly was very bitter about that and, and just said it's this day to be honest with you and he didn't want to share because he didn't want to worry us mm. and he didn't make the calls to the mortgage company because he was kind of paralyzed by the whole thing and it, it all spiraled way out of control and he ended up going bankrupt it was a really horrible period of my life and informed a lot of how I do things actually now, certainly how I run a business. So, so I wonder if you could perhaps pick up on the, one of the ways perhaps just, you know, the, the fact that he didn't do anything is just maybe, you know, my experience of confirming of, of what happened with you, but also that not wanting to worry other people about it. Yeah, I think especially when you are in that position that I often say that when, when we're struggling, if I'm, if I'm working with my clients one-to-one, when we're struggling, when we're, we're having those challenges, that actually naturally we become more subservient to dominant situations and also dominant people has to be said as well so actually we find it easier to stay exactly where we are we have that fear of letting people down but also and you talk about generationally we have so many generational and cultural changes going on around our relationship with mental health these aren't new problems that have suddenly started to arise these are problems that have always been there but now actually have a voice to them and now actually carrying some momentum to do something with that. Like, and I, I kind of refer to the fact that my granddad was in the Navy, therefore his condition was not to share this kind of stuff. It doesn't mean to say he never struggled. He saw some really challenging times. For him, he just wasn't the thing to talk about this kind of stuff. And that's kind of what we're moving away from. But in a very short space of time, things are happening. But there is that element of, and it's the reason why actually... Um, it kind of ties in nicely with kind of my stories we end up wearing this kind of mask and we again we try and be what people want to see in us uh, and we try and be what situations demand of us but we sure don't show ourselves yeah and especially i find in the business community even more so and it's no coincidence actually that, that, that my kind of breakdown moment happened outside of a business networking meeting because 
the conditioning was to to go along and you put the, the kind of the networking front on and how are you I'm fine how are you and you're kind of happy and strong and confident but actually there was a lot of struggles going on right there and because I was wearing the mask and and because I was wearing a mask for every situation in my life but none of them were actually me because we do try and morph into every situation but we don't show ourselves and the reason we don't show ourselves is because our narrative tells us that if we show ourselves, we are going to be shot at, we are going to be dismissed, we are going to be judged and not liked, and all those kind of things that our inner selves tells us. But especially in the business community, and it's only kind of when you come out the other side of, actually, the truth is liberating. Um, and for me, what had happened was I decided to speak about that event and, and a lot of things about my past publicly, and that's what changed for me. And then over the past six years, and it, it kind of changed into a passion and, and then it became my job, which is still kind of nuts to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to but, that. Do you see that, Chris, in terms of, well, we, we seem to be very, very afraid of, for example, giving ourselves to our clients in, in a kind of financial sense that, but actually if we all buy into that kind of adage that people buy from people, if you're not showing people your true self, if you're not showing the world your true self, and how do people truly know how to engage with you? It becomes a kind of a filtering process, really. I found that by being me to whoever and wherever I am, is actually, I've never lost kind of business for a start. I've never lost anything uh, I couldn't afford to lose by just being me. Mm. Yeah, I, I do. I do absolutely get that. There's um, when I do, uh, I do a lot of speaking engagements like you uh, mm. on various different subjects, financial well-being, employee ownership. What my kind of on-stage persona, if you like, is absolutely honest, mm. and even to the point that you know, more than one occasion, I maybe just had a slight moment on stage and just welled up a little bit, you know. And yeah, I embrace definitely. it. I embrace it. Um, well, I see you talking. And you, you talk about something which is which is emotional and you talk about something which is you, but to convey that emotion to your audience, you revisit that. And, and that's why things like recovery and energy come into play when, when you need to come away from that event as well. Do you, do you find that? I think that's a fantastic tip for people actually that, that you've used that word a few times recovery. Um, mm. And that's not something that I use. I've, I'm using that from now on. I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> Just yeah. allow yourself a bit of downtime. That's a fantastic tip. But, and also, it's, 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 the thing I love about all of this and the thing that I find kind of the most kind of liberating thing that I'm passing on to people is actually to start to question everything that we do. Because most of our stuff in business, and, and we will tend to innovate and we'll shake things up and try things differently. But in our personal lives, we'll do things because we've always done them that way. And actually, we never question things. And um, so, again, asking people to question, like, why they get up at a certain time? Why do they eat this for breakfast? But this stuff, we just never ask. And we, it's only through getting to know ourselves can we work out how we recover. Like knowing, for example, I'm an introvert. If people saw me on stage and, and traveling and speaking to loads of people, they would think he's an extrovert. But by the definition, I recharge in my own company. I'm an introvert. Mm. So, therefore, my recovery is on my own. My recovery is unique to me the music that i like that makes helps me to recover some time on my own an extra recharges in the company of others so they is that right I, i've never heard that definition before that's fascinating it's, that's the true definition of, of it and there's a whole scale to that of course but an introvert recharges on our own and an extrovert recharges in the company of others but we need to know this stuff because yeah. if we're having that tough day what's going to bring us back and get our energy back for the day after because you can only run for so long before you'll stop and and it's it's that kind of thing that i try to instill in people 
but not just recovering from an event, a day, a meeting, whatever that might be, proactively getting your energy in before you get there. Yeah. So you actually start to go forward into the day, into the meeting with some intent. Yeah. I Somebody called me recently a high-functioning introvert, and I thought, yeah, I, that actually that suits me, that description. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, but when, yeah. but when you're the sort of person that likes to go on stage to share ideas, everybody thinks you're a bit of a show-off. And actually, it's not that. It's just a passion to wanting to share ideas, not a passion to be seen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the mechanisms I use, and as you know, because I used it at the, the Financial Wellbeing Conference, is I use this thing called disarming truth. I, I tell an audience, I tell people, if I'm in front of one person, I tell them exactly how I'm feeling right now, because actually when it's out of me and onto them or onto the room, then actually when you see your, your challenges, your anxieties, your worries in a third party perspective, they look completely different. They look completely manageable. So actually quite often I will go on, if it's in 50 people or 5,000 people, and actually say to them, I'm feeling really anxious right now. But interestingly, no matter what the size of the room is, I always get anxious for about three minutes because I know my playbook to come back. I know the things to do to, to bring my state down to a relaxed state. Uh, I also know that once I get through the first couple of minutes, I find my flow. And it's important to say that because people look up at you and me and think, oh, brilliant, I'd love to be a speaker. They just kind of nail that. There's got no, no problems whatsoever. But actually, I do need to manage that stuff. So this is not a hallelujah, I'm cured. <laughs> this is somebody who just knows how to manage their stuff. I've built my playbook on how to manage my state. You need to therefore explain how you went through that process, Nick. But before you do, I just want you to share one story with us about your realisation. Or maybe this was one of the things you did to help manage it. The the story about the Monday morning when you wrote down all the things you were worried about. Yes. Yeah, it was. Um, this, this all started with my kind of foray into personal development. And I've got a real love-hate relationship with personal development anyway. That most books you read kind of make you feel that if you don't do everything in this book, so you're a rubbish human being. <laughs> um, and the reason being is everyone wants you to do things their way. My kind of advice to, to kind of clients and to people that I speak to are to actually build your own playbook. I could read a whole book and maybe one sentence leaped out at me, then I'll put that in my playbook kind of thing. And the book that I started reading, uh, which is hugely pivotal for me, was The Chimp Paradox by, okay. by Dr. Steve Peters, a children's version, which I've used actually kind of to, um, to help somebody really close to me, uh, which was The Inner Chimp. And it's a children's version of that book. And it's really, really good. But basically, it explains the way that we make decisions and, and how we run on our subconscious. If I, if I use the example of in prehistoric times, you're faced with a big woolly mammoth, your chimp, the fight and flight reflex goes, it's a mammoth, what are we going to do? The computer part of you, the, the memory and experience will say, actually, you stood and you fought and you've won before. So you'll stand and you'll fight and hopefully win. Uh, <laughs> Or actually, maybe you got mauled by one of these before. So the computer will tell the chimp to, to run as fast as you can the other way. And a human only kicks in after everything's happened to try and rationalize and memorize what's gone on. So for me, that kind of explained that we run on our subconscious reactions to things. Um, now, neurologically, further reading uh, was 21 days on average to form a new habit. Whilst accepting old habits are always there. Mark Twain says something I wanted to test out, and I wanted to test that against this kind of theory. He said that some of the worst things in my life never actually happened. <laughs> and, and it's true. Um, and I, but I only worked out it was true by testing this. So I kept a worry journal. Um, what you alluded to just now was on day one, 
welcome to GAD. He had 128 entries of everything. 100, 128 things yeah. that you were um, worried might happen. Yes. Anxious. How do you cope with taking that around with you, Nick? <laughs> well, this is the thing. GAD, highly functioning, anxious person. Um, it must be exhausting, it, though. It is. Oh, definitely. And that's the reason why you get to that kind of meltdown phase yeah, where you kind yeah. of... Uh, we, you're not scheduling recovery as well as carrying all this around. So I have 128 things on that day one. I made a note to go back two weeks later and actually see how many of those things that I was kind of convinced was going to happen, how much actually came true. And the truth was none. Not Zero a single things. one out of 128 things. One. No. Wow. And we're all doing this. <laughs> that's, that's the scariest thing. It's not just me. It's, it's everyone we're doing this. We're kind of assuming a worst case outcome most of the time. So therefore, over a period of weeks and months, we are carrying around tens of thousands of things that don't actually happen or never happen. We do this with our families. We do this with our, our personal lives. We do this with our home lives and work with our clients. We're constantly doing that. We're assuming a worst case outcome to most things. So do you think that this is in the nature of certain people who have anxiety? Or do you think that there are other people who are optimistic, for example, and are the other way around, thinking, uh, going around thinking all the good things are going to happen? I think um, that kind of assumption of a negative outcome tends to be in the majority. From, from my experiences of speaking to people, working with people, that tends to be the case. I did hear uh, a statistic that I think it was like 80% of the UK will go negative if you get the 50-50 chance of a positive or negative outcome. <laughs> I can't back that up. So I'm not actually seeing that myself, but somebody yeah. did tell me after a talk. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. But maybe that explains why we, where we, why we are where we are right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> quite. Let's not get into politics, though, Nick. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So perhaps let's go on then. The Worry Journal was the start of you looking at how you could control your own anxiety, and it ended up with you getting up on stage. So what else did you do to help manage your own situation? So I think and it's kind of maybe in the shape of value I could bring to your listeners right now. I think it's a case of there's two more things. Maybe it's to start to never assume an outcome to anything, good or bad. Actually see things in a process, see things factually based. When somebody's going through a really tough time, uh, you, you see this a lot with kind of like hospital scans and lots of things that we cannot literally hurry up at all. They just run their course. Is actually you start to break things down into daytime compartments. Right, today, what can I influence? Because actually when somebody asked what anxiety was to me, it's a very personal experience and everybody's different, but it was regret from the past and fear of the future. Pretty much today, I could deal with most things that came my way, but it's when we start to open our minds to the to the rest of the stuff, the past and the future, that's when it starts to get really fuzzy. And in tandem with that is taking emotion out of highly emotional things. And I think, especially in terms of finances, I think this is probably the most powerful anxiety to finance tip I can offer, is when we get in those kind of states of high emotion. So I use the example of jealousy when I talk, but it could be anything. It could be something that just really triggers us is actually to see things for what they are, so take the emotion out of it. So finances can bring families down. Finances can end um, businesses, all of these different things. And that's kind of the feeling for non-finance people, especially for, for kind of the, the finance people that you work with, need to recognize in their clients and the people that they work with that actually a lot of the time we're scared of talking to people who are financial advisors um, because actually then it kind of gets real. Um, and it does get emotional. If you start to take emotion out of those kind of things, something I call cold processes, then you start to see things for what they are. You don't start to catastrophize. 
there's a lot of emotion around money. One of the things that, that came to mind actually when you're talking is comparison. Comparison is a real enemy of well-being. And it's a completely negative thing. And a friend of mine sold his business for quite a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And a uh, lovely chap. And when he told me how much money he had, I felt really weird for a couple of days. I was thinking, well, this, I, I should have that. You know, all the good that I could do. Why weren't I more successful? And all these sort of thoughts. And then after about two days, I suddenly went, hang on. Him having that money has literally made no difference to my life at all. Mm. And I'd wasted two days getting myself a little bit wound up. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, you can relate to that more in spades, I'm sure, Nick, can't you? It's, it's in, in the neurolinguistic programming world, NLP world, they, they call that emotional anchoring. We, we anchor our emotions to people or situations or events. And, but that stuff stays in us, you see. It's things like road rage, that's, that's a trigger. And actually, that can stay with us, even though the person that's cut you up and the situation's long gone, that's still alive and well in you. Because <laughs> we kind of hang on to this stuff long after things have happened. Yeah. Um, but also it must have triggered from for another reason. There must be another reason why that really kind of... There's an American author called Jim Rohn, for those looking him up, it's R-O-H-N, uh, Jim Rohn. He says that you are the average of the people you surround yourself with. And I quite like this because it, it kind of links in well with, with stuff that I talk about, but also the story you just related as well. Is that if you have somebody, um, let's say say who's angry or aggressive in your close group of friends you'll either have a part of that in you because of you spending time with that person or actually because you resent that so much that triggers with you and i find that fascinating because also in that same group finances can have the same effect as well uh, it could be romance it could be anything that really triggers so that's a lot of my focus is actually looking at how people immerse themselves in things actually creating an environment where people can feel calm and actually can break things apart in terms of processes. And I know this isn't new advice, but it's helped me over a difficult period earlier this year. There's a phrase that I came up with, and it sounds ridiculously trite, but it, when it came into my head, it made so much difference. I, I just was walking the dog one day, mulling over yet again the problems that had been happening. And mm. then I just said to myself, do you know what? I think I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's a that. ridiculously trite thing to say but for me personally I came home and I said to my wife I've decided to be happy and yeah. it, it changed yeah. I changed then uh, about seeing things a different way <laughs> isn't that silly uh, it's not at all and I love that and actually you've reminded me of, of my favorite movie ever uh, which is uh, called Marvelous so it's about Nello, who's the, the kind of Stoke City kit man. Um, yeah. and, and like he said, he just chose to be happy. Yeah. Despite yeah. everything else that had gone with him kind of thing. And that, that, uh, that resonates with me. I really get that, Chris, actually. So no, not as right as you said. <laughs> <laughs> so do tell, just finish off, because, you know, the, the fact, I just love the fact that in order to cope with your anxiety, one of your mechanisms is to go on stage and talk about it, which is just mm. this beautiful, simple, and yet complex idea. Tell us how that came about and how it's going. So what I found was that when I first started speaking about this stuff, it was a selfish move. And I encourage everybody in that position to be selfish. Just, just sometimes in life, you just got to do it for yourself. And without getting too dark about it, it was also a case of I had to let this stuff out, or actually it could possibly consume me. So to start with, it was very much kind of working through that process. And I thought it would, so it started as my therapy, but still remains my therapy. Even yesterday, I was speaking at an event in, in Bristol, a company in Bristol, but I just chose to share something that was on my mind right there and then. 
Because I think actually when we have something going on in our heads and we keep it in, it just seems so much worse than it actually is. And actually just the, the process of you verbalizing your problems or even writing or journaling is just a whole different kind of perspective. I know with the, the speaking academies that I run here in Bristol, when an exercise is just so powerful as a personal development tool is to write your story, your journey or adversity from an audience perspective. So actually what would people learn from listening to your story? And when you do that, the whole process of doing that, you see your story in a different light, but also people can gain real insight from your experiences. And for me, it just kind of makes sense of all the stuff that I've managed over the years. Now it makes sense because of what I'm doing, what I'm doing now. So there's some kind of nice synchronicity to it. Would you say you feel happier? I definitely would say I feel happier. I feel more peace of mind, I think is probably the, the, the kind of the best way to put it. I think after spending so long with my mind racing since so many years, that actually now to be able to switch off, to be able to just relax and recover, for me, that's kind of, that was the end game. That was kind of where I was always aiming for. Um, so yes, definitely. But in the spirit of honesty, as I've been described as brutally honest, <laughs> things like self-employment are actually quite difficult for me because I've always kind of been of the mindset of being the best second in command I can be. And again, it's interesting, maybe your your kind of the, the contacts you have for financial advisors will see this in clients that you'll have people that are actually enjoy what they do and enjoy kind of they may have fantastic widgets or services or products, but actually the process of running a business actually isn't me. So as much as I enjoy what I do, it's interesting that it does kind of clash sometimes and not a week goes by. As much as I love what I do, not one week goes by where I don't want to press that eject button and <laughs> go back to employment. And that's the truth. And I'm, I'm always honest about that because I think people need to see that. They see people, especially in the speaking world, but in business generally, people that are self-employed or running their own business or flying their own flag. And you've got people who listen to this right now or run their own businesses. People will be looking up to them to aspire to, to kind of become what they, they become, to inspire people, all that kind of different thing. They don't necessarily see the journey. And that's why I try and share everything about my journey, both in business and personally and professionally. Because you need to have a rounded picture of what things are about. Does that make sense? Very much so. Very much so, Nick. You engaged everybody at the conference and, and your speaking was absolutely fantastic. And I know you also train speakers to, uh, yes. to, to help people get up on stage themselves, don't you? I do. Um, so it's, it's very different to, to kind of formal speaking training. It's, uh, it's, it's not a Toastmasters. I think everything has its place, that kind of thing. But for me, it's about my thing is emotional storytelling. So actually a lot of people use it as a personal development day or as, as even as a therapy, but start to verbalize their emotions and how they sound when they feel different things. Some really fun exercises as well. And one thing that I'd just share, if I may, the people I've found in life who have been most inspiring are the people who are not trying to be inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's and, cool. You know, if Thank you're, if, if you're, you don't get up there because it's not about you. You want to help people. Yeah, you don't get up on stage and me, 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 look at me. I'm going to be motivating you and watch me motivate. You don't do any of that. You just get up and tell a really honest story and that is motivating. Definitely. And I think the reason being is, is and thank you. For that. Uh, um, see, I'm still not good at taking praise. Uh, <laughs> um, the reason being is for me, and I think this goes for, for mental health, it goes for everything in life, that, what I found is, essentially, 
in life. People just want to be heard and understood. And that's as simple as it gets. The reason we push people away or keep people at arm's length if they're struggling is because actually we feel the need to try and fix people. People aren't crying out to be fixed. They're crying out to be heard. So actually things like speaking gives people a platform to share whatever they choose to share. At the start of the academy day, for example, I never give people an agenda. All I tell them is, okay, I want you just to talk for a minute about something that you hate. I start to play with emotions and actually, how do you sound when you're angry? How do you sound when you're you're happy, when you're sad, that kind of stuff. And within an hour, people are sharing everything (laughs) to a room full of people that were strangers an hour ago. For me, that's that's my drivers because actually by giving people that platform, I know it's really boosting them and actually getting something they don't tend to get in everyday life, which is that platform to be heard. Most of the time, people find their own way forward. People find their own solution. They're not crying out to be fixed. As I said, so they just want to be heard in life. And a lot of people aren't feeling that right now. And that's why I try and do what I do. No, that's wonderful. I mean, it's brilliant what you're doing, mate. Just tell us how people <laughs> can book you. So um, very, very simple. NickElston.com, N-I-C-K-E-L-S-T-O-N.com. You can find me on all my socials on there and also message me through the website too. Fantastic. Nick, I really appreciate your time with us today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much and thanks for tuning in. Well, absolutely mm. fascinating. Isn't he a great guy? Uh, yeah. To hear Nick again. I was bowled over by him when he came to the Financial Wellbeing Conference and uh, I think a lot of the things he touched on then he was touching on again mm. in that interview. But if that's your first exposure, dear listener, to Nick, then I hope you found that as inspiring as we all did. There's the, the, the thing he says about that, that exercise he did where he wrote down all the things that he was um, feeling anxious about. And then a week, and it was 100, 127. And then a week later, he went through them all and none of them had happened. I, that's mm. such a powerful message for, for anybody with anxiety or, or even without anxiety. I think, yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's, he's a very interesting guy. Um, if anybody's interested in booking him for a, um, a speaking engagement, of course, uh, he's always looking for gigs. Um, and he works in any sort of room, in any sort of situation, because you can imagine any uh, trade or you know uh, conference or what have you could benefit from hearing what he's got to say. And yeah, I'll, and certainly when he talked, I beg your pardon, yeah, no, when, no, no, when he talked at the conference as well, uh, he obviously gave a talk which I suspect is not too dissimilar to the ones he gives most of the time, but he also managed to make it then relevant to financial well-being and added a whole section into that, and I found it absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm going to put uh, details of how to find him, de- uh, contact details, website, all that sort of thing in the show notes. So Excellent. So not too much nonsense from us today. It was all about Nick Elston. I hope you've enjoyed this one and you tune in again next time we bring you another one in our financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.